Very good. Hey, <laughs> can't relate to many of those jokes, and I don't know where they come from, but um, I could relate maybe to, to one or two. Glad to have you here with us this morning. We are pausing across our nation. We are pausing today to celebrate the life of fathers in our community. And I recognize that, that can be a tricky thing for many people, or for some people, for a variety of different reasons. And so if you're tuning in with us this morning, or you're watching this this afternoon or later during the week, so glad that you can join us. And even if they've been a, that's a, today represents a little bit of a tricky, clunky sort of experience for you, we just are really glad to have you here with us today. You know... Um, there was a time in a father's life when they decided that, hey, it'd be really good maybe to have some, some little ones like me populating the world. I mean, wouldn't that be a great idea to have this wonderful moment where I can have some, some kids of my own and I can actually populate the world? I'm not half a bad guy, so maybe if I could populate the rest of the world, then that would be a good thing. And then we discovered that parenting was actually a really tricky, difficult thing. In some ways, it's a little bit like this experience. Um, and I think, actually, that's talking about the parents, not the kids over there. Um, I remember the first time that I locked my dad's uh, finger in the car door. I mean, like, entirely locked it in the car door. I was in my early teens, and uh, I don't know how it happened, but I was in the passenger side, and I closed the door, and somehow his finger got caught in the, the mechanism. I realized that after a period of time, because I must have locked the door, and I think I'd put the belt on, turn the music on, and the wiper down, <laughs> the, of the, the visor down, and then I looked to my left, and I saw my dad jumping up and down, like really hysterically, and with his other hand, he was pointing towards the door. It was only at that moment I realized that I'd actually jammed his finger in the door. I don't remember too much after that, but after I'd actually opened the door, he didn't say all that much to me. But he went for a long walk, and I mean a long walk. And then he eventually came back, and we drove home. And Dad, as I was thinking about Father's Day this week, that's the first thing that came to mind. I know that uh, we can create a lot of tears. I know that fatherhood can be very rewarding as well. But uh, I just want to say I appreciate you being my father too, even if occasionally I've jammed your finger in the door. How about we pause for a moment? Because I'd like to pray, and from wherever you're positioned this morning, I want to ask that God might speak to us. Father, God, I ask that you might speak to us today. From wherever we are, from whatever our experience, we want to honor and celebrate the life of dads in our community, in our church family, across our nation. And I ask that you might meet with us today that you might open our eyes, that you might nudge us along, that you might encourage us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading an article this week, and the article was called The Science of Dad and the Father Effect. It kind of mapped the, if you like, an anthology of fatherhood over the last few generations. And uh, as I read that article, I discovered that there are a number of things I resonated with. You know, where it started was really reminding me of the idea of, uh, in my grandfather's generation, of a father's role, really, was that to be the provider. There was this sense in which uh, uh, a dad would wake up in the morning and his wife and children would be in the home and he would leave and exit to the wilds. And in the wilds, he would catch wild beasts and he would bring those wild beasts home in order to provide food and put it on the table. 
Um, His role, if you like, was being the provider. He's the one who would plow up the fellow land and grow the seed, and he would bring that home in order that he could provide. He was the provider, if you like, and the protector, the one who would put shelter over a a home where his family could grow up within. And that was kind of characterized by my grandfather's generation and and back from that, sort of receding back. It was that idea in which life actually as a father was clearly defined and it was that sense in which he was the provider, if you like, and the protector. I remember there was two times in my life as a young father in which I returned home to open up the door with my family right there on the doorstep and I looked inside and, and I saw just mess everywhere. And, and in that moment when I saw drawers open and things just strewn across the room that I paused and I stopped and I literally, this has happened twice, I've said to, to Bron and the kids, could you please just wait here because I need to be the protector right now because I think we've, we've been robbed and we might be being robbed right now. So I stilled myself and twice I've walked through my house and looked in every room to see that there's clothes out and spread across the, the floor and, and thought maybe they're in the next room only to discover that no. No, no, we left it this way. (laughs) There's something about being a father that brings out this sense of wanting to provide and wanting to protect. Then there was the next iteration, if you like, of fatherhood that I experienced, probably my my father's generation and a little bit overlapping into mine, which was the idea of what is the importance of fatherhood? Is there anything that differentiates fathers and is there anything that's unique to them? And when that was being questioned, if you like, then you had the likes of Steve Bidolf and Ian Grant and even our own uh, Mel Mel White writing books and speaking about the benefits and the necessity and the uniqueness of fathers contributing to the life of families, to the life of our communities, to the life of our nations and how important they are. In fact, reading that article this week, I love it when you've got some research that validates part of your existence. (laughs) And it said this, research suggests that fathers are important for a child's development. Well, thank you. I really appreciate some of that, uh, if you like, resource trying to validate my role as a father. I agree with that. The third iteration, if you like, is the one that we're in right now, and that's the idea of the perfect father. This has got less to do with than the father actually being perfect itself, but if you like, the father providing or the parent providing the perfect environment for their kids to grow. This, this is the idea that if I can dial the right dials, if I can put them in the right classes, if they have such a the variety of different experiences in life, that they'll grow up to be well-adjusted. Well, if I could put it another way, if, it, if I don't dial the dials in the right way, then maybe my, my kid will be in therapy for the rest of their lives. It's this sort of idea, if this bewilderment of research that's actually inputting into our understanding of what it means to be a father and all the different things that we can get wrong. It's no wonder we have this great sense of anxiety that's part of our understanding of parenthood and fathering these days. I even was shuddered a little bit when I read this in the article. It says, poor dietary choices in men can lead to negative pregnancy outcomes. I love that. No longer can even a bloke go to Bunnings and have a snag without it affecting his progeny for the the next generation. It can be overwhelming and bewildering. So that's why today I want to flip our conversation a little bit and not talk about the perfect father. I want to talk about the good enough father. 
Because the article went on and said this, and I agree with it. Dads do not have to be perfect. And making a genuine effort to be there for their children can make a big difference. In fact, I suggest an enormous difference. So I want to talk about the good enough father. You see, fatherhood, I don't think, comes always intuitively. I realized this a number of years ago when a friend of mine had children before me and they were just moving out of that baby infancy stage. I remember at the gym one day and he turned to me and he said, seriously, he said, Troy, I don't know what to do. I said, what do you mean you don't know what to do? He said, well, when they were young, when they were babies, I could change nappies, I could do the goo-ga-ga-ga thing, I could cuddle them and snuggle them real close. But now they're getting a little bit older and they're starting to look outward. I don't know what to do. It's probably for the first time in my life I realized that for some people, parenting is kind of like a blank canvas. And so is fatherhood. That fatherhood might have something to do as much with being caught as it is taught. But I think the good news is, and I really do mean this, is that even if you haven't been shown the way, I believe that we can make a way. So what makes for the good father? Not the perfect one, but the good father. Well, the first thing I think I'd want to say is that it has to do with presence. You see, the good father understands that there is power in presence. Sometimes I know in my life, both presently and formally, I can get caught up in being preoccupied with other things around about. Whether it be some screens or whether it be a task that's before me or whether it's been a job that I'm doing, I can get absorbed in things. I think one of the most challenging things when the kids are young but also when they are older is to continue to understand the power of presence. Presence has more than just to uh, qualitative time but it's also got to do with quantity. It's the idea of that As a father, I want to be involved in a young person's life, a middle person's life, and an older person's life, because I don't think you ever stop being a father. But it's the idea of that my presence is still warranted and important in varying degrees at different iterations in a child's, in a person's life, but it's still necessary. You see, there's. I remember when I was younger, it had to do with mealtime together. It had to do with reading books together. It had to do with just the presence of someone else around in my life. And that's the same as it is with fathers. The idea of a father being present to you can be a a powerful thing. I don't remember all the times that my father played cricket out in the backyard or table tennis or basketball or read or prayed. But I know looking back that he did. And I think that's the powerful part of presence is the idea that we know that we're present enough so that the child actually knows that they've actually been cared for. That there's a sense in which they know that they're of worth and importance because there's been the presence of someone else. Which raises the question, doesn't it, about single parenting and the challenge of that. Is it possible? And one of the things I've always said here at New Community is that I love the idea of there being surrogate uncles and aunties and blokes and fathers, if you like, figures around for those that perhaps aren't. And equally so when there might be a father present and not a mother. That idea of a broader community sharing the load. I think it's possible. I think that's one of the benefits of close community. But you see, a good enough father understands the power of presence. And I don't think we ever stop being fathers. 
See, anyone might be able to be a dad, but I think it requires persistence and courage and effort to be a father. I love this passage in the Bible. Jesus said these words. Just when he was leaving this world, he gave instruction to his disciples. He said, I want you to teach people to observe everything that I've commanded you. And look, I am with you every single day to the very end of the age. I love those words of Jesus. If you like, he understood the power of presence in his followers' lives. And that's so true, too, of the presence of a father in a child's life. Good enough fathers. They're not perfect, but they understand the power of presence. Second thing is I think a good enough father understands is that they need to be personal. See, it's more than just spending time, enough time that they know that they've been spent time with. I think there's this sense in which the the idea of being personal has got to do more with the meaningful connection that a father might make with a child. A father might make with a teenager. A father might make with his older child as they've grown and become an adult themselves. There's this idea of this pouring out of themselves. I once heard a father say this, I don't particularly like that hobby, but because my kid likes that hobby, I love that hobby. (laughs) I think what he was trying to convey is that there's a difference between doing the things that I like to do and the things that they like to do. And my role as a parent, my role as a father is actually, if you like, to row around them and discover what their entry point is, what is the particular thing that's unique to them, and for me to actually attend to that so I can make meaningful connection. You see, a good enough father understands that their role is not to make them like them, but to actually part of it is to try and connect meaningfully to their child. You know, when I had our kids, no one ever told me that the kids could be so different. So if you're out there and you've had more than one kid, you will get this. No one told me that you could actually produce kids and you think that would actually be a little bit similar, but their personalities can be so vastly different. And uh, I realized this when, uh, at holiday time, When we'd go away, I would look forward to saying, I want to go fishing with my kids. I mean, my father taught me to fish. He tried to kill me a number of times when I went fishing, but I kind of made it. And so I thought, that'd be a really good thing to pass on to my kids, is the fishing. I think out of the three, there's one. (laughs) I know there's one. Because I would go away on holidays, and I would rig up the rods. I would get everything ready, and I'd start to tell them, tonight we're going to go fishing. We're going to go out into the wilds, and we're going to go hunting. We're going to wrestle fish out of the water, and we're going to bring them back, and we're going to provide for our family. I remember the times where I took them fishing that night, and take them individually. We'd teach them everything, show them everything, and they'd be drawn in the sand next to the river going, Dad, do we have to throw the rod in one more time? Like, do we have to cut? How many more time before we go back? I think out of the three, there was one. What I realized from that is that every kid's different. Every child's different. Every person's different. And my role as being a good father is discovering what that is and how do I make meaningful connection with them. And I don't think that changes as we get older. I just think we need to continue to understand that the role of being not the perfect father, but a good father, has to do with making meaningful connection throughout the iterations of life to make it personal. I love this passage in the Bible. Paul writes to a group of Jesus followers who lived in Thessalonica. And he's wanting to encourage them, if you like, because of the connection he made in passing on Jesus to them. And this is what he writes. 
He says, you know how, like a father to his own children, we encouraged each of you and strengthened you and made it clear to you that you should behave in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love that idea. He had this image of a fatherly-like figure that would encourage and that would strengthen and that would point um, them in a particular direction. It's as though he was intimating that if you like parenthood or if passing on the good news of Jesus doesn't just happen randomly, it happens with some intention. And part of that is when they come to actually know him, to point them in the direction towards God, kind of like you're pruning a garden and just not letting it go wild. I think that's what a good father, if you like, understands is the power of presence to also point young people and middle people and older people in the right direction. See, fatherhood has got less to do with being a friend and then a father. And I think sometimes being a father who wants to direct and guide and then hopefully will also become a friend later on. You see, good fathers understand the difference between just being a dad who might have kids to actually being a father who's invested. And if you like, they're the ones with courage and effort and persistence Strive to be the good enough father. If you like, the third has to do with practice. They say that practice makes perfect, but I'm not sure if that's true in parenting. Because all I know is I need practice and practice and practice. Some of the most powerful things a father can say, the good enough father can say, is when they got it wrong. Maybe badly wrong sometimes. But the idea of going back and actually saying, you know what, I might have blown it here and I want to name it. Would you forgive me? And then they go about trying to rebuild trust and establish connection and build meaningful relationship once again. You see, the good enough father isn't the one who's the perfect one that never makes mistakes. The good enough father is sometimes the one who admits it and then moves on. I thought there was this particular phrase, this sentence in this article that I read that was a particular important challenge to me. It said this, Fathers might ask themselves, what are my children learning about life, morality, about how family members should treat one another, about relationships from observing me? Now, if that doesn't put the pressure on, I don't know what does. But there's some truth in that. The idea that the good enough father might get things wrong and sometimes in a very difficult manner. But then there's another sense in which they're equally the ones who might pick themselves up and with the grace of God and the forgiveness he gives to try and say, how do I set the standard? How do I be the measure? And how do I continue to move forward and be the one who actually calls my children forward and says, this is where I want to head and this is what I want you to see. You see, if you like... The good enough father understands the power of presence, that to make it personal is important, and that fathering never stops. It just involves practice and practice and practice. I love these words that Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says this, As for you, obey your parents, children, for at your age this is the one best thing you can do to show your love for God. And then it says this, 
And fathers, don't overcorrect your children, or they will grow up feeling inferior and frustrated. I love these two trajectories. They kind of mutually support one another. The idea about a child obeying their parents is really good because if they learn to receive instruction in a safe way, they will be able to receive instruction from others in the future. And they will also be able to give it well in good measure. But equally so, it's not just one-way traffic. There's this sense in which Paul instructs and he speaks to the fathers. And he says, don't set the standards so high. Don't make it so rigid that your kids can never actually meet that measure and they're always falling short and they get frustrated at the end of it. I don't know about you, but that can be a challenging thing to do. But the idea of this, of being able to set and point a direction, but at the same time not being at so high and so lofty that the young person then just becomes overwhelmed. So I love the mutuality of these two things, is that children learning to receive instruction and doing it as a demonstration of a love for God, and equally so that the father, in equal measure loving God too, wants to be the kind of encourager, sets a standard, but not so high, and the child knows that they can be nurtured. You see, they're the things that I think make for the good enough father. I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. I wonder how he might be encouraging and nudging you. Because what I discover is it's never too late to start again, get in the game, be reminded. We're not aiming for perfection. But I think God calls us to be the good enough father. As he brings order into our life that we might bring order into other people's lives, including our children as well. As I've thought about fatherhood over this past week, I've realized that I've had an unfair advantage in my life. Because in my life and in my fathering life, I've had two fathers. In fact, my father had two fathers and his father had two fathers as well. What do I mean by that? I mean this. When I came to know Jesus, something changed in my life and I gained another father. Paul writes this in the letter to the Galatians. He's talking to them about their experience of coming to know Jesus and the transformation in their lives. And this is how he describes it. But when the fullness of time arrived... God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons or as children of God. What Paul had in mind as he's thinking about this is the great rescue mission that God performed when he drew his child, Israel, out of Egypt under the the tyranny and the slavery of Pharaoh. So he has that in mind as he's thinking about this illustration. But he's also thinking about the, the word adoption. And in the Greco-Roman world, there were a lot of Caesars who actually didn't end up passing on their power to their sons or daughters, but passed them on to a son they might have chosen from the wider family. You see, they kind of wanted to pick who was the best one that would actually carry on the family name or not even the family name so much as carry on their power into the next generation, into the next iteration. And in fact, Julius Caesar himself, Augustus, wasn't his son by birth, but by adoption. And that's what Paul has in mind here. He's thinking of these two things. And he's describing and saying, when someone comes to know Jesus, if you like, they're adopted into God's 
family. They are adopted into his new setting. And he goes on and he says these words. And because you are God's children, he has sent out the spirit of his son into our hearts, calling out, Abba, Father. Now, I know it's quite timely that Abba set out a new single just this week, and they're coming back for all those who are Abba fans. But this is a word that's being used in the Aramaic, and it's this word of intimacy. It's not childish, but it's childlike. It's an expression that says Abba, and it means Father. So that you are no longer a slave, but a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you are an heir through God. The powerful experience of this, he was saying, is that when someone comes to know Jesus and he pours, Jesus pours his spirit into their life, it's as though Jesus introduces that person then to his father. And you become part of a new family. That's how God's fixing the world. He's making a new family. Jesus is the older brother and God becomes a heavenly father. The trick, though, is this. Depending on the experience you've had in your life about your fatherly perception is the thing that often maps our understanding of God as father in a Christian's life. Like light that travels from the sun in straight lines, when the sun hits different forms of a prism like a water droplet, it actually bends the light. So too with different prisms, a triangular prism, light comes in, it bends the light or refracts it, and it bends it back out as it leaves that surface. What you discover scientifically is that when there's light passing through all different shapes of prisms, it actually bends the light and it can bend it down or it can bend it up. And I realize for some people that their experience of fatherhood can be such that when they look at God and the concept of God the Father through their fathers, there might be blank experience, or the light might bend down, or the light might bend up. You see, that's why I think Paul's quite clear to say, what I want you to do is understand when you come to know God, the one who introduces you to God is Jesus himself. In fact, it was Jesus who said to his disciples, if you have seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you like, the light doesn't bend through Jesus. It's a perfect replica that reveals and shines the Father, the heavenly kind, to you. See, the good news of that is that then it doesn't matter. Well, it does. What kind of experience you've had of fathering But I wonder if Jesus might whisper into your ears, if the light's bent down, then look at me. If the light goes blank and doesn't shine up anything, then look at me. If the light bends up, then that is good. But still look at me. In fact, I think he bids you to fix your eyes upon him. The author and perfecter of faith, who through life before him endured the cross and he scorned at shame and he sat down at the right hand of the Father so that when you look at him, you see the Father. That's why I can say in my life, I've had the unfair advantage of having two fathers. And a Jesus person might have an earthly father but they also have the perfect heavenly father. 
And I wonder this morning if it might be wholly right for you to look at this idea of God as your father through Jesus, the perfect one who lived and died for you. How do I know that it's quite possible for you to map a way forward if you haven't been shown the way? My grandfather was passed between father and mother in the early stages of his life. He didn't even know who his father was until mid-teens. But then sometime in the latter part of his life, when he married, he drew a line in the sand and he said these words, I want to start again. And he did. His two aunties had raised him. He didn't have a present fatherly figure in his life. And I am the recipient of that man's decision to make a way. He had two heavenly fathers. Sorry, he had two fathers. One father that most decidedly bent the light down. But he also had a heavenly father that he could see that he could map himself against. And I am the recipient of that gracious act. And so can you be. I wonder how God might be speaking to you today. If you're a father out there and you work in those things and you desire to be the good enough father, then well done you. If you're out there today and you're hearing these words, and for you, fatherhood, that whole concept, and God as father is clunky, then I want to pray for you. I want to say, look at Jesus, and then you'll see the father. And if you're out there today and fatherhood comes with a burden for you, can I just say to you, get back in the game. You don't have to be the perfect father, but you can be a good enough father with God's grace. Let me pray. Father God, I'm reminded of your words today. This powerful truth of you being a heavenly father. I'm so grateful for that. And I just ask today that for those who are pressing on and desiring to be the good enough father, would you encourage them? Would you remind them of the power of presence, the power of making it personal, and the power of practice, just to demonstrate that The person to them, their child, no matter what age, is of value and importance to them. I pray for those who for Father's Day is clunky and I ask that you might bring a healing measure to their lives. That as they see you, they might see themselves and the cracks in their own lives and that you might bring healing to that. That you might cause them to see even their earthly fathers with the eyes that you see them with. And I ask, Father, for those who are finding it difficult and how do I make a way forward that you might inspire and nudge and encourage today. They don't have to be the perfect father, but to look to the perfect one and then to be a good enough father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you have a look at this song right now and why don't you experience the powerful love of God through it?